Welcome to Stories from Among the Stars. You're listening to Legends and Lattes by Travis Baldry. 23. He was here, asked Tandry, in the middle of the night. They opened late. Tandry insisted. Viv said nothing at first, but the other woman quickly sensed that something was amiss, her innate talents at work, and demanded to know what was wrong. He came for the stone then. Did he get it? He didn't. The succubus waited for her to elaborate, and when she didn't, Tandry slapped a palm on the counter, hard. What happened? All of it, this time, please. So Viv told her in as much detail as she could remember. We should find a way to hire the cat, too, muttered Tandry when she had finished. Leg of lamb in the cold box for when she shows up, said Viv with a faint smile. She was gone this morning. No idea how she got out. So, this ward that Hemington set, it's spent now. You'll need to have him reset it. There's no point, said Viv. Fennis won't try the same thing twice. It'll be something else. I don't know what, but I'll just have to be wary. I'm pretty good at that. At least I used to be. How far will he go to get it? Asked Tandry, eyes narrowed. Honestly, I don't know. Further than this, though. Tandry paced the room, tail whipping from side to side, drumming her fingers against her chin. The stone, if it was gone, what would happen? I've been asking myself the same thing. I think we're at the point of assuming it works. Things have gone so well, and the Madrigal seemed pretty sure of it, too. It's not like I have any basis for comparison, but still. What's the most you could lose? Viv stared at Tandry and didn't voice her first thought. Instead, she hedged. I don't know. Maybe everything, maybe nothing. Maybe I should stow it somewhere else just to find out. Maybe I should throw it in the river and forget about it. She gave an exasperated sigh. Or maybe I should sleep next to my sword again. Stop it, Tandry said sharply. Self-pity doesn't look good on you. Viv grimaced. Sorry. Tandry stopped pacing and looked suddenly uncomfortable. And I think it may be a particularly bad idea to get rid of it anyway. What do you mean? The succubus hummed like she didn't want to answer, but then she relented. Well, there's a concept in thaumistry. It's, it's called arcane reciprocity. It's why thaumistry is so controlled and why we don't use it in warfare, at least not to kill. She sighed. Are you familiar with the idea that when we treat pain with medicine, we're really just delaying it? That when the treatment is done, you suddenly feel all that deferred suffering like it was stored up for later? I've heard that, but not sure I believe it. I've felt a lot of pain, said Viv with a wry smile. So, continued Tandry, in thaumistry it's sort of like that, only measurable. An effect caused by arcane power has a reciprocal effect that is expressed when the power is removed. Everything has to balance out. Once the power stops, Something pushes back. Advanced thaumistry is all about redirecting the blowback. Then you think if the stone is taken away, maybe there's some sort of backlash, like bad luck. I don't know for sure, said Tandry. Is the stone even thaumistry? Do the same principles apply? She winced. It's just maybe a possibility. But if it's true, the real question you, we, have to ask isn't how much there is to lose. It's how much more there is to take after that. Viv stared at Tandry, 
and clenched her jaw. More than I want to give up. Viv tried to think of some other place inside the building to store the stone, one more secure, but eventually resigned herself to the fact that it really didn't matter. If Venice had found it in the first place, a new hiding spot wouldn't be a secret for long. Since she'd surprised him once, he'd assume his intrusion would be detected, so she couldn't imagine him creeping in at night a second time. She needed to figure out how he'd come at her next, or through whom. Waiting for a blow to fall was not something that Viv was used to. She'd spent a lifetime ending threats before they manifested, not bracing herself for a knife in the back. Constant wariness wore at her, and she became increasingly snappish and impatient. The first week was the worst, and she apologized more than once to Tandry and Thimble for being short with them. A few times, Tandry gently moved her aside and took over at the counter when Viv didn't realize she was glowering menacingly at a customer. Viv was both embarrassed and grateful. But inevitably, time dulled the edge of her anxiety, reducing it to the occasional startle at an imagined sound in the night and furtive glances toward the stone's resting place throughout the day. At the same time, Pendry's scheduled performances became something of a pleasant hassle. A regular audience began to build for his appearances. Quite a few of the attendees didn't actually buy anything, but Viv was fairly certain that some of his fans were converting to actual customers. To manage, they sorted out a way to add overflow seating. Viv bought more tables that they stored in the alley, and on performance days, they set them in the street and threw the big doors wide. The kid, for his part, was slumping less, smiling more, and his bulk finally seemed to fit the space he occupied. Once or twice, Laney made her way across the street to make a few tart complaints about the noise, but since they were usually delivered around a mouthful of Thimble's baking, the sting was somewhat lessened. Amity even appeared during performances, weaving between startled customers and settling beneath the big trestle table. Regulars learned to be protective of their treats, since she casually swallowed any unattended pastries in her path. Her lashing tail was a menace to mugs. Viv never once considered shooing her away. Three weeks had come and gone since Fennis's nighttime intrusion, and while Viv couldn't pretend the threat had passed, she did relax back into her routine. Her mood improved, and she hadn't apologized for a waspish remark in a fortnight. Cal took to dropping in more regularly, and Viv caught him in huddled conference with Tandry once or twice. He made a few loud and pointed observations about the quality of the locks, and Viv assured him she'd look into replacements. When the madrigal strode into the shop, Viv stood open-mouthed for a moment. Good evening, the woman said. Evening, um, ma'am, she managed. Can I help you? Viv had the good sense not to speak her name, at least, but ma'am? She cringed inwardly. The madrigal's dress was understatedly elegant, and she carried a handbag over one arm. Viv spotted at least one of her men, subtly shadowing her from the street, and if there was one, at least two more lurked out of sight. The woman's eyes glittered with cold, curious regard. Gods, what if I'd made an enemy of her, thought Viv. She could hardly believe she'd ever spoken so bluntly to her face. I've heard so much about this establishment, the madrigal said. At my age, I don't get out quite as much as I once did, but the opportunity presented itself and I simply had to see. Well, 
We try to make sure we're good neighbors, said Viv, asking as subtly as she could manage if there'd been some misstep on her part. Indeed, I'm sure you are. Not everyone is so neighborly, though, I fear, and that element can sometimes be quite tenacious. She pointedly held Viv's gaze, then crisply opened her handbag and reached within. Ah, yes, and I'd like one of those crescent pastries, please, my dear. Numbly, Viv took the coins and handed over the foldover, wrapped in waxed paper. She lowered her voice. Tenacious. The madrigal sighed, as though it was all so disappointing. It would be such a shame if anything untoward were to happen to such an excellent neighbor. A touch of vigilance over the next few days might be warranted. It's my fervent hope that these worries of mine are misplaced because, she took a delicate nibble of the crescent roll, these really are quite excellent. Good night, dear. She nodded regally, turned, and left in a rustle of gray silk. Her man vanished from sight as well. Tandry eyed the woman's departure with suspicion, having caught the unspoken interplay. She shot a knowing glance at Viv, who subtly shook her head in answer. A sick feeling bubbled in her stomach. After closing, Tandry finally asked, Was that her? The metrical? Yeah. She gave you a message? Yeah. More of a warning. I don't know why she bothered to let me know, but Fennis is going to move soon. And what are we going to do about it? Well, I could always kill him, said Viv. Tandry just stared at her. Joking, muttered Viv. Was she, though? The problem is, I actually stopped to consider it, Tandry confessed. He is such an asshole. After that big speech you gave a month ago. Yeah, well, nobody's perfect. Viv sighed. Now we're back to square one, trying to guess what he'll do next. No, we're not, because we know he wants the stone enough to come here himself. We can't be certain he'll try the same thing again. In fact, I can almost guarantee he won't. Well said Tandry. One thing is certain. What's that? You're not staying here alone. I don't know why you're still arguing, said Tandry as she double-checked the locks. Up to her elbows in soapy water, Viv scrubbed rather aggressively at a mug. It just doesn't make any sense. What difference could it possibly make for you to be here, she grumbled. The light dimmed as Tandry began extinguishing lanterns. You're right, with Hemington's ward gone, what difference could I possibly make? I'm only gifted with exceptional sensitivity to hidden emotions across an unbelievable range. How on earth could that be of any use? Viv set the mug down more forcefully than she'd intended. A crack spidered up the side, and she gritted her teeth. I still don't like it. Since you can't refute my point, I guess I don't care. Viv turned around to look at her, crossing her arms sullenly. Don't be such a baby. We'll make a pact. If mortal danger threatens us, I promise to hide behind you. Deal? Viv stared back, feeling increasingly foolish, until she relented with a sigh. Deal. Exhausted, they stood together at the top of the ladder. I thought I told you to buy a bed. Tandry grimly surveyed the still barren loft. Viv had Amity's seldom used blankets and pillow under one arm. Well, I was a little distracted. Nighttime intruders and all. Tandry rolled her eyes. Give me that. She seized the bedding, shaking the dire cat hair out of the blanket and pillow, before busying herself unfolding Viv's bedroll and assembling a larger place to bed down. 
Viv watched with a growing feeling of embarrassment and trepidation. Well, said Tandry, her hands on her hips. At least with the stove running, it shouldn't be that cold. I can't believe you live like this. I'll be fine alone, really. There's no reason you shouldn't sleep in your own bed. Stop it. We already had that argument. After a moment's hesitation, she shucked down to her small clothes, slid quickly under the blanket, and turned her back to Viv. Viv extinguished the lantern and then did the same, tiptoeing as if Tandry were already asleep, then snorting at her own ridiculousness. She pulled the blanket, still smelling strongly of dire cat, over one shoulder. Even with her back to Tandry, she could feel the woman's warmth. Good night, Tandry, she said, too loudly. Good night. Viv stared ahead into the darkness. Is that your tail? I'm just getting comfortable, Tandry's reply was tart. After some strategic adjustments, she fell still. There was a long silence. Viv cleared her throat. I'm glad you stayed. Tandry's breathing was slow and even, and Viv thought she might already be asleep. But then came a murmured reply. I know. After that, for the first time in ages, Viv fell asleep almost instantly and did not wake until morning. 24. When Viv's eyes opened, she could tell from the coldness behind her that Tandry had already risen. She was amazed she hadn't woken when the succubus left. Viv wouldn't have thought it possible. She smelled freshly brewed coffee and dressed slowly, needlessly delaying. Then she became annoyed with her own dithering. Before Tandry, she'd never been hesitant in her life. Was she really going to pick up the habit now? She descended the ladder with great deliberateness. Tandry sat at the big table, staring over the top of a mug that curled a ribbon of steam. As Viv joined her on the bench, the woman slid over another mug, still hot. Thanks, murmured Viv. Tandry nodded and took a slow sip. There was a relaxed curve to Tandry's back, and her tail made slow, lazy motions behind her. Viv's tension released, and she swallowed some of the good, hot drink. The warmth of it settled into her whole body. The gabble of Thune's waking noises, muted by the walls of the shop, surrounded them peacefully. They enjoyed their coffee, slowly and quietly. Viv was reluctant to break the meditative mutual silence, but after dallying like a coward in the loft, she felt a need to act decisively. Did you sleep all right? As a bold conversational gambit, it left something to be desired. I did, floor notwithstanding. Viv smiled. Someday, I'll get around to that bed. When they'd finished, Viv rummaged for cheese in the cold box and grabbed a few linen-wrapped pastries from the pantry. Tandry joined her in the kitchen, and they engaged in the well-worn routines of the morning, firing up the stove, lighting the lanterns and chandelier, filling the machine's oil reservoir, checking the cream, and arranging the mugs. They picked the food and moved about one another in slow synchrony. Then Viv opened the door, and the gentle spell was broken like a soap bubble. The noise of the day overtook them both. The murky threat of Fennis receded, and the warm other place they'd occupied all morning became more and more dreamlike. The smells of Thimble's baking and the clatter of his cheerful labors filled up the kitchen as they greeted regulars. Chatter rumbled from the dining area, and the clink of mugs and plates skittered below it. 
Cal dropped by, and Viv showed him the stove she planned to order for Thimble. He read the measurements carefully and squinted at the wall and the stove while Thimble rummaged in the pantry. Hmm, Cal said, stroking his chin with a thumb. Well, suppose you could fit it there. We're going to be mighty crowded. Maybe that you'd best make do with what you have. Auto circulator keeps up now, but with two fireboxes. Could be you're back where you started and sweating when you'd rather not. Might be you have to look for a bigger place and leave this one behind if you're set on it. That was frustrating, and of course moving wasn't an option. Viv glanced at the back room from which Thimble hadn't emerged. She didn't look forward to seeing his disappointment when she told him. That's a real shame. But I guess I have one other thing you might help with. Viv led Cal into the dining area. We've got a bard that comes in and plays back here. She gestured toward the far wall between the booths. I'm thinking maybe a little stage? Something higher up with a step. Sure, sure, said Cal, happy to be able to agree to something. They talked details, and he tipped his cap and went on his way, carrying a hot to-go mug and a thimblet with him. All too soon, the day was done. We're not going to argue about the sleeping arrangements again, are we? Asked Tandry archly. Never let it be said that I don't learn from my mistakes. Tandry hummed. Although maybe you can keep your tail to yourself this time. Viv smiled, her back turned as she put away the last of the mugs. Tandry laughed softly. Dinner? She asked, as though they often ate an evening meal together. Viv glanced over at Amity, curled up under the trestle table. For a wonder, the beast had stayed in the shop the whole day. It was reassuring. I should definitely eat something besides Thimble's baking, said Viv. She slapped her stomach. My clothes are feeling a little tight these days. Tandry snorted and opened the door. They locked up and strolled to the high street, found a place that neither of them had visited before, and had a meal together. They talked about Laney's latest wheedling attempts to extract recipes from Thimble, how to break the news of the scuttled oven plans to their baker, and about Pendry and a few of his more ardent admirers. His biggest fan was back again yesterday. Early, so she got a good seat, observed Viv. The one with the hair, Tandry gestured, miming windblown curls. That's the one. I don't think Pendry's noticed yet. Hmm, well, people tend not to notice what's in front of them until it nearly knocks them down. Viv was about to reply with an offhanded quip, but something about Tandry's expression made her reevaluate. Eventually, she managed, I guess that's true. The conversation moved on. After dinner, the two of them returned to the shop and snuffed the lanterns and candles. The rumble of Amity's purr echoed from under the table. I can't believe she's still here, said Tandry. I'm sure she'll be gone before dawn. Viv hoped not, though. Maybe Cal will decide to sleep over too tomorrow. We're short of blankets, though. She waited for Tandry to ascend the ladder first. They revisited that serene, gentle quiet they'd briefly shared that morning and undressed. Viv found herself looking away as Tandry did. They fell asleep back to back, comfortable and easy and warm. Yowling shocked Viv awake, along with a heavy thud against her belly. Her eyes flew open as Amity's enormous skull butted her again. What? Tandry mumbled. Get up! Viv sprang to her feet, 
inhaling deeply. There was a smell in the air she couldn't quite place, acrid but still faint. The dire cat lashed her tail and paced anxiously to the top of the ladder. Viv spared a thought for how impressive a leap that must have been. Then it dawned on her that she could see the animal far better than she should have been able to. At first, she thought the faint light was from the moon, but the color was all wrong. It was a pale, corpse-fire green, and it was growing brighter. What's that smell? said Tandry, as she snatched up her clothes and held them against her chest. Viv didn't bother with hers. Nothing good. As she rushed to the ladder, the dire cat leapt down first. Viv grabbed a rafter and leaned out, grimacing when she saw tongues of spectral green flame licking at the frame of the big double doors and spreading fast. Strangely, there was almost no smoke. Then, with a thick, crackling sound, the flames sheeted up the doors like a waterfall in reverse. Shit! Hurry, it's fire! The bastard lit the building on fire! We have to put it out, cried Tandry. Viv hoisted the woman off her feet. Tandry gasped in surprise and almost dropped her clothes as Viv scooped her other arm under Tandry's legs and leapt to the floor below. Tandry grunted, rattled by the impact. Viv set her down and looked around the corner into the kitchen. That door was also aflame, and little ribbons of fire crept up the wall behind the stove and over toward the pantry. A piercing snap resounded from above as the pressure in the room changed, and then green poured across the ceiling like blood down a blade. She heard brittle, sharp cracks as the roof tiles burst like popping corn. That isn't normal fire, said Tandry, raising her voice to be heard over the roar of the flames, her eyes wide and panicked. A normal fire smoked, but this one burned clean and pungent as incense. It isn't. We have to get you out of here, now. Me? What about us? Amity yowled plaintively, then hissed like a tea kettle. She crouched near the big table, shying away from showering sparks. Viv had already waited too long. Much longer, and her options would dwindle to zero. There was no telling how hot this unnatural fire might burn, or what might extinguish it, if, indeed, anything would. She dashed to the water barrel in the kitchen, the heat already intense from where the wall burned. The metal on the stove was beginning to throb red. Steam rose from the barrel, much hotter than a regular blaze. Viv scooped up a few of Thimble's mixing bowls, dredged them one by one through the water bucket, and tossed the water toward the front door, now alive with sheets of flame. The water had absolutely no effect. It hissed and evaporated before it even reached the wood, which had already charred, spider-webbed with throbbing lines of orange. Shit! When Viv turned, she saw Tandry had discarded her clothes and gathered an armful of mugs. She hurled them one by one at the front window, trying to shatter it, but the mugs burst on impact, leaving the glass unmarred. She turned to Viv. How do we get out? This way. Viv sprinted back to the dining area and the big double doors, the heavy wooden crossbeam still in place. Snakes of green fire crawled all along its length, with curtains of flame dripping from above to meet those rising from the floor. Viv wrapped both arms around one of the big benches, lifted, and heaved it over to the door, squinting against the heat's blinding intensity. She hooked one end of the bench under the burning crossbeam and jerked upward, hard. The beam lurched, but fell back into its brackets, showering the floor in a spray of green sparks that skittered and hissed like water on a skillet. Several struck Viv's bare feet and arms, stinging like hornets. 
The pain was incandescent, and she smelled her own flesh charring. She heaved upward again, once, twice, and on the third attempt, the cross beam was bashed free and slammed to the flagstones, along with another cascade of green sparks. Stand back, shouted Viv. She readjusted her grip toward the center of the bench, lifted it fully, and then charged forward, hammering into the right-hand door and continuing past, leaping over the fallen beam. A rush of cool night air met her, and she let the bench carry her forward out of the shop, where she hurled it away. It rolled and clattered into the street, where she could already see the shadows of neighbors emerging. Viv turned and saw Tanri framed in a hellish green window, the flames from a fallen crossbeam leaping higher. A shadow to Tanri's right materialized and then launched itself through the flames. Amity landed in a smoking sprawl on the cobbles. She spared them a brief, terrified glance and then fled down an alley. Viv's gaze snapped back to Tandry. The woman held one arm, grimacing in pain, tears streaking her cheeks. Taking a deep breath, Viv sprinted back into the building, leaping through the flames, which seemed almost liquid as she passed through, like boiling water. And then she was inside. Hauling Tandry into her arms again, Viv dove back through the green wall of heat. Stay here, she said, depositing Tandry in the street. When she turned back, the entire building was engulfed, the fire spreading with supernatural speed across every surface. She winced at the sharp reports of more roof tiles popping, and clay shards rained down, peppering onlookers with fragments and dust. You can't go back in there, Tandry yelled over the rushing howl of the flames. Viv sucked in a lungful of air and charged back into the building. She could smell her hair smoldering as she landed inside. Viv spared a glance for the flagstone under the table. Something seemed wrong. Was it tilted out of place? No time for that. Not now. She scrambled for the kitchen, vaulting the countertop. The pantry boiled with flames behind her, heat pressing on her like a physical thing. She yanked the lockbox out and slammed it on the counter. She leapt over again and tucked it under an arm in a single motion, then sprinted for the doors. With a roar, she hurled it out into the street, trying her best to aim away from where she thought Tandry was standing. It struck on a corner with an ominous crack and tumbled, but blessedly held. She rushed back to the kitchen. Viv spared a glance for black blood on the wall, the garlands already a glowing ruin of cinders. Then she heaved the coffee machine off the counter with both hands and walked deliberately back toward the open door. Sparks from above peppered her shoulders, her hair, little lightning strikes of pain. Part of her braid caught fire, but she couldn't spare a hand to put it out. She grimly advanced, muscles straining under the awkward load. She came to a stop in front of the flaming crossbeam and wished she'd had the presence of mind to shove it aside with the bench to clear a path. But it was too late for that now, too late for anything else. She took one enormous step over the burning beam, holding the machine before her. Fire licked her thighs, cooking her skin, the pain exquisite along both legs, and then she was over. Staggering into the street, Viv gently set it down and groaned. Her back shrieked in agony, a pain that she hadn't known for weeks. As she turned back toward the building, the lintel above the big doors collapsed and the doors themselves folded inward in a huge gout of green, landing with the booming sound of explosives. The mullioned window exploded outward in chunks and needles of glass. Everyone shielded their faces with their arms. They stood, 
stunned in the street, baking in the heat rippling from the building. The roof began to creak and snap, and in a shuddering slope it collapsed, tiles pouring into the room below where they glowed bright red in the pools of green flame. Standing in their small clothes beside the tumbled lockbox and the coffee maker, Tandri's hand found Viv's and gripped it tight. She coughed, her eyes watering. Viv stared into the shop, her face set. The big table began to sag to the side, half buried under cherry bright tiles, to crumble over the place where the scalvered stone lay. She squeezed Tandri's hand back. At least we didn't lose everything. Tandri looked bleakly at the machine and the lockbox. You shouldn't have risked it. Following her gaze, Viv turned fully to Tandri and leaned down until their foreheads met, shoulders slumping under the weight of loss and terror and exhaustion. In a low voice, so low she was sure Tandri wouldn't hear it over the roar of the flames and the rising clamor of people and the ringing of watch bells, she murmured, that wasn't what I meant. 25. Gate wardens appeared soon after the blaze began, lanterns in hand, and bellowed at the growing crowd in the street. Viv only dimly registered their presence until one of them approached, directed to her by some neighbor. She numbly answered his questions and forgot her answers almost immediately. When he disappeared, she returned her attention to the wreckage. Ignomancers from Ackers, recognizable by their robes and pins and air of scholarly annoyance, were able to contain the spectral flames and prevent the spread to the neighboring structures. But there was nothing they could do that would have changed the outcome for the shop itself, so they let it burn. The flames raged until nearly dawn, and Viv and Tandri remained in the street, watching the shop reduced to cinders. The walls collapsed and fell in fits and starts a slow crumbling, and then a sudden rush as timbers tumbled inward in corkscrew ribbons of sparks. Tandri huddled by Viv's side. They were blasted dry, like they'd been scoured by a desert wind. The skin of Viv's face was raw, the burns on her thighs angry and throbbing. Laney hobbled over to them at some point, bringing blankets to cover up with. It was too hot, and Viv shed hers almost immediately, although Tandri kept one wrapped around her shoulders, held together in front with a fist. By degrees, Tandri slumped against Viv's arm, exhausted. The succubus didn't suggest they leave, but she did murmur at some point, When you're ready, we'll stay at my place. Viv couldn't bring herself to acknowledge the offer. Despite the heat on her flesh, a coldness drew down from Viv's skull to the soles of her feet like every day she'd spent in Thune was leeching away, leaving a growing emptiness, the most physical manifestation of despair she had ever known. Was this what Tandri had spoken of? What had she called it? Arcane reciprocity? Was this what that felt like? Or was it just plain old everyday hopelessness? She didn't know, and she supposed it didn't matter. Tandri tried once more, still indirect, Aren't you tired? Her voice was hoarse. While the smoke from the spectral flames had been sparse, their throat still burned from it. I can't leave, said Viv. Not yet. Her eyes stayed fixed on a place in the heart of the ebbing destruction, 
where the stone once rested. She had to know if it was still there. As dawn glimmered, the green flames sputtered and died, as if they fed on the night as much as on earthly fuel. The heat was still intolerable, though, and the blackened spars and charred and glowing tile could not be approached. Eventually, Tandri persuaded Viv to sit on Laney's stoop, and together they watched the dawn bloom fully. Now, the blackened wood did smoke in a more natural way, as though the arcane fire had consumed it until then. A black, noxious cloud of soot grew and spiraled skyward, where it was torn apart and scattered by a breeze from the direction of the river. Laney stood behind them, leaning on her broom. After a while, Viv asked in a ragged voice, Laney, do you have a bucket or two you'd lend? The old woman did, and Viv took one in each hand. Still barefoot and in her undershirt and short linen pants, she strode to the well, filled them both, and grimly tossed water onto the ashes of the space where the big doors had once been. It splashed and hissed now, without the green flames to burn it away before it could fall. She took the buckets back to the well, refilled them, and did it again, and again, and again, forging slowly inward toward the ruin that had once been the big table. Viv didn't count the trips, and her feet left bloody prints on the cobbles, Ashes caked her legs up to her stinging thighs. Tandry waited on the stoop and didn't try to dissuade her. It would have been pointless. The heat was still intense, and sometimes Viv poured a bucket over herself before she returned. The water always wicked away soon after she retraversed the spattered trail she was blazing. At every splash, the ashes became briefly muddy until the blackness quickly dried and cracked again. In the street, the crowds had thinned some, although the murmuring onlookers that remained stayed far away from Viv as she deliberately forged ever inward. Sometime during this endless, numb repetition, Tandri briefly disappeared and returned with Cal and a small wagon drawn by a sturdy pony. They enlisted the help of some nearby folk and loaded the coffee machine and the lockbox into the wagon, and Cal took it away again. Viv hardly cared. At last, she reached the place. Barely any wood remained of the table, and what did was powdery and burnt through in a patchwork. The first bucket of water that struck it made it wither and crumble away like salt. Viv knelt and pawed away the ruin, her fingers scorched by embers hiding beneath. She stood and kicked at the cinders with her bloody feet until the flagstone beneath was exposed. She breathed heavily, inhaling smoke and coughing raggedly, staring at it. One more trip with the buckets washed away some of the accumulated ash and cooled the surface of the stone. She took a blackened twist of metal and levered up the edge, flipping it into the crumbled remains of the table in a plume of gray. Dropping to her knees, Viv sorted through the startlingly hot earth beneath with her scorched fingers. There was, of course, nothing there. When Viv returned to the street, she moved as though underwater. Weightless, sound distorted and far away. She stared bleakly at Tandry, then stumbled toward her. Before she reached Laney's stoop, Viv was surprised to see Lack shoulder past the people fringing the street. He carried folded sets of clothing and two pairs of cloth shoes. He said nothing when he passed the bundles to Viv and Tandry, 
but Viv saw the flash of a fine gray dress between a few of the folk behind him. The madrigal caught her gaze, nodded solemnly, and then walked away down the street, stately and unhurried. Thank you, managed Tandry in her cracked voice, but it was all Viv could do to reach out and take what Lack offered without dropping it. Lack murmured something to them that Viv didn't register, and then she stood staring at the clothes with only dim comprehension. After that, Viv didn't remember sitting, but she must have done so at some point. She stared dully ahead, vision blurred as her eyes watered from the smoke. A familiar voice whispered, Oh, no. Viv blinked in recognition. She turned her head and squinted at the unfocused shape of Thimble. Tandry knelt before him in quiet conference, with Laney's blanket puddling around her. Viv closed her eyes, and when next they opened, he was gone, and she didn't know how much time had passed. Tandry was suddenly beside her again. He's here. She gently put a hand on Viv's shoulder and turned her, and there came Cal again, with the pony and the wagon. Tandry led her to it, and gently urged her into the back, where Viv lay with feet dangling off the boards, staring up at the sky and the black ribbon of smoke that bisected it. She distantly heard Cal and Tandry speaking on the buckboard as the cart clattered away over the cobbles. The smell of the burnt shop receded a little, but never completely. Viv reeked of it. The ashes fluttered away from her in the breeze of their passage like snow blown upward. At last, the wagon stopped, and someone guided her up some stairs, and then she was inside Tandry's room. The woman sat her in a wooden chair that creaked under her weight. Tandry disappeared, only to return with a wet towel. She scrubbed Viv as gently as she could manage, although the nap of the cloth was like sandpaper where she was burned, which was almost everywhere. Afterward, Tandry managed to get her undressed and into the clean clothes that Lack had provided, and then she settled her into the lone bed in the room. Viv resisted closing her eyes, resisted letting go of consciousness, but the next time she blinked, she was gone into a dreamless black. When she slowly woke, Viv felt more present in her own body, but her bleakness had redoubled. Her eyes flickered open, and the blanket of Tandry's bed rasped against her skin, painful on her burns. At first, she closed her eyes again, craving the oblivion of sleep, but it eluded her. You're awake, said Tandry. Viv turned her head, and the muscles in her neck ached. All of her ached. Her feet sizzled with pain. Tandry was seated in the chair with a blanket pulled up to her chin. Her eyes looked bruised, hair singed. The tracks of tears were still clear on her smudged cheeks. The smell of the fire filled the room. They were both still redolent of it. Yeah, whispered Viv. She didn't think she could manage more than that. She realized how parched she was, and that was something tangible. She needed water. Tandry seemed to sense it. She stood and shuffled in her blanket over to the vanity and brought a full pitcher. Viv managed to prop herself up and drink it all, greedily, in a few enormous gulps. Thank you, she said, not even bothering to wipe the wetness from her chin. It was icy relief on her tender skin. And then, because she felt it needed to be said, I'm sorry. For what? Tandry frowned at her in a tired way. Saving me from the fire, 
the one I was such a big help in preventing. I guess we should both be thanking the cat. Dandry chuckled soundlessly at that, although it looked like it hurt. I have to go back, said Viv. Now? Why? Whatever it is, it'll keep. There's nothing there to recover. There's just something else I have to see. Tandry stared at her, then sighed and shrugged. Let's go then. You should sleep. I kept you out of your bed. I couldn't sleep without knowing where you were anyway, replied Tandry. Sleep will keep too, I suppose. Viv groaned as she sat fully upright, pushed herself to her feet, and then found and slipped into the cloth shoes that the madrigal had provided. She hissed through her teeth as her soles protested, but she mastered herself. Outside Tandry's room, she saw it was late afternoon, tending toward dusk. She must have slept for seven or eight hours. The walk back to the shop was very slow, and she stepped carefully. Pain that she had shrugged off hours ago became insistent and sharp. She thought about what Tandry had said just a day ago about reciprocity. Pain that was ignored, magnified on its return. Absolute devastation. The heat had died down a great deal over the course of the day, although it was still uncomfortably warm. No walls stood. Hills of ash and the stubs of burnt spars and tumbled stone marked the perimeter, and slumped piles of gray and black resembled a blurry map of what had once been the interior. Viv left Tandry in the street and waded in, carefully choosing her steps. She made her way behind where the counter had once stood and cast her gaze over the wreckage there. At last, she found it. Viv tentatively reached out, careful of potential heat, but it was cooler than she expected. She withdrew black blood from the pile, and black grit sifted away from its warped, tortured length. The leather that had bound the grip was, of course, burned away to the tang. The cross guard was curved and melted, the blade twisted, and a mother of pearl sheen rippled across it like oil. A crack ran from one side all the way down to the fuller, the steel destroyed by the incredible heat of the unnatural fire. Viv held her sword in both hands, head bowed. She'd forsworn her old life, crossing a bridge to a new land, and now knelt in its ruin. This was the bridge burning away behind her, leaving her in a desolation. She tossed the blade back into the ash and took the only path that remained. That's all for now. Thank you for listening. Make sure to follow Stories from Among the Stars on your preferred podcast app to get the next episode. Or if you just can't wait, you can buy Legends and Lattes wherever books or audiobooks are sold. Thank you.